Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ, and then to be sanctuary to each other, and express sanctuary to this city. And so, for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Um, We love the Shahs, believe in the Shahs, have known the Shahs, trust the Shahs, and are praying, believing, and standing with you guys in San Francisco. Um, Yeah, we, we pray for this plant, that it would be established and rooted in God's love and be a huge blessing to the city. We've got a lot of history with the Atkins and the Harms and so and with Ryan and Robbie and my goodness. Yeah. So we're, it's a joy to, um, yeah, it's a joy to come up here. Um, I met uh, Tom when I was adopted into, we planted our church 17 years ago in Visalia. And for a long time, we were independent. We didn't belong to anything bigger than ourselves. And in many ways, just didn't know what we were uh, missing. But we pushed up against some stuff that made, caused us to think, man, it would be really healthy for our church to belong to something bigger than itself. Um, so we started exploring our options. Where would we like to uh, land? And it was during that process that we discovered the family of churches that Tom was a part of uh, in England and the Davises and, uh, and others. And we just couldn't believe what we stumbled on. We were, we were so thrilled. I called headquarters and I said, I'm in. You know, and they said, well, it doesn't exactly work like that. And I said, well, I kind of felt like I told a girl, I love you. And she was like, and I like you too. (laughs) So I said, oh man, I'm in. And uh, they said, well, I'm glad you feel that way. So why don't you come out, meet us, hang with us. We'll talk. We'll spend time together. We'll see if this is a fit. Because this is very much a family. Um, And so it's through kind of this wider church family that I met Tom. And so if you're new to this smaller family, one, one thing that would be helpful to know is that this family is a part of a larger family of churches. And it's been a huge honor and blessing for Tiffany and I and our church, Radiant, to be a part of something uh, bigger than itself. I think there's a, there's a ton of, yeah, I mean, so uh, we are going to, gather the family, those in the state of California, um, we are going to gather at Hume Lake over Memorial Day weekend. Um, yeah, it's exciting. There's just, there's just a handful of us churches here in California, but we're believing God that we're going to become more than a handful of churches through people being adopted into this family and us planting in cities like San Francisco. So, we're believing to be much bigger uh, than we are. So Hume is great because it's central, and there's a little bit of headroom there. We can grow in that space. The capacity there can increase. And so the reason that we're coming together is a few things. Like we really believe that being a part of something bigger than ourselves brings great health to our churches. 
it's really amazing to have Tom and others look in on what's happening at Radiant and Visalia and have a place to speak into the life of our church. We think it's healthy and promotes an accountability. Uh, the other thing that's just obvious is that we're strengthened by each other's gifts. So we get to send people up here and strengthen and build up and supply what's lacking in some ways as we kind of go forward together. And then lastly is about mission. We feel like we can do more together. So we're really committed to not just being leaders together on mission. Most churches, most companies make space for the leaders of those companies to be together. But we don't just want to be leaders together on mission. We actually want to be churches together on mission, which means we're going to have to mix and mingle. You're going to have to meet my church. I'm going to bring my church up to meet you guys. And we really do want to have a partnership, not just amongst leaders who get together at an annual conference, but amongst our churches that are making time to actually know one another, stand with one another, pray for one another, and contend. We pray for San Francisco. We pray for sanctuary. And it's a great privilege for our church to think about something bigger than it because we get so focused on the little thing that we're up to and sometimes miss the big thing that God's up to. Yeah. So I would encourage you guys to come. Um, there's a little QR code on the back so that you can sign up. We're having to handle um, registration, but please know that as you um, register for the event, you're not signing up to be a part of Radiant Church in Visalia, but we're having to facilitate the registration. And I'm really pleased to announce that the cost for those 18 and under has been covered. So we want to make this um, an accessible thing for, for our families. So it's going to be an incredible time together of teaching and worship and just connection around the table. So we specifically chose a camp so that we could do our meals together because we think the magic happens between the services, not just during the service. So excited about building a relationship together. Was that a sufficient pitch? Does everyone feel like, would you maybe sign up like based on that? You think so? Okay. Yeah. All right. Great. She's like, I don't know. <laughs> I just, sorry. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. All right. Hey, if you have a Bible, would you open it to Matthew chapter 20? I believe as a church, you've been making your way through Mark. Is that true? Okay. So it's the book just before Mark. It's in the normal names. If you get to some weird names, you've gone too far. If you're in some weird names, maybe you've come up short. But there's a little pocket of names you know. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You're going to want to be in there. Matthew chapter 20. How many of you, uh, you would say like, I use the beginning of the year to set some goals. Like you believe in a New Year's resolution. How many of you... Use the beginning of the year to set some goals. Not just plan. I think everyone uses it to plan. But how many of you would say, I'm going to use this as an opportunity to set some goals, like a New Year's resolution? How many of you, have, you're done with that? You were done with that like a really long time ago. Because just, it just feels like a huge uh, setup for failure. So I think even if you're, you know, if you're pro New Year's resolution or you're anti New Year's resolution, I think that we can all agree that it is much easier to start something than it is to sustain something. And it's, it's, it's easy, or I should say it's easier to have a wedding, you know, than it is to have a marriage, right? And uh, 
to go back to the birth analogy, much easier to conceive than it is to raise a child, right? So we all get this. And I think it's part of the reason most of us have given up on the New Year's resolution is because we know how difficult it is to sustain something so we don't even bother to start. I don't even want to start this because I know I can't sustain this. And I've just been thinking about this, like how do we sustain our yes? The reason I've been thinking about it is because we're 17 years into this. And I I know that right now we're we're asking people maybe um, to give or to, to serve with kids or to engage and what we're doing. But down the road in Visalia, I've been asking people to sign up for kids for 17 years. And I've been asking them to give for 17 years. And I've been asking and inviting people to make sacrifices uh, for quite some time. So I've been thinking a lot, like even for me personally, how do I sustain my yes? How do I keep saying yes to a life of serving God and serving others? What will see me through? How will I continue in that? And so I want to I I speak on this um, because I, I, I think it's important. I think it's important because if you don't give up in due time, you will reap a harvest. You will reap a harvest in this city. But it is hard at times not to give up. It's hard to endure, to sustain your yes. It's hard to continue in relationships where you feel like you're giving more than you're getting. Now, that's okay for a time, but as you continue in that, it becomes really difficult. And so I've just been, I wanted to share a message on sustaining your yes, because I believe in due time there's harvest here for you in this city. So I know how to keep saying yes to things that don't cost me anything, right? I know how to say yes to snowboarding. That's not hard. I know how to say yes to cereal at like 11 p.m. I do most nights. I know how to say yes to ESPN. I know how to say yes to things that cost me nothing. But I'm talking about a sustained yes of, of service to God and, and others. So um, I think that often I, I travel around um, and I'm invited to speak because we were successful in, in planting a church. And it can be tempting as people invite me into scenarios uh, to maybe assess or give input into their church plan. It can be tempting to think that the reason Radiant succeeded is because Tiffany and I are just so gifted and, and godly, you know. Sorry, my sarcasm is... I have to tee that up. So it can be tempting to think that Tiffany and I were, were such incredible leaders, and that's why the church got established. But as I, as I kind of um, dig a little deeper and kind of look at Radiant, um, what I see and what established the church there was a group of people that said yes, even when it hurt. Because everybody can say yes until it hurts. And everybody's in and willing until it costs you something. But there's only a few people usually that give even when it costs. And even when it hurts. And what's the word I'm looking for? Like um, interrupts or 
um, interjects. Anyway, you 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 kind of know what I'm saying, right? So, and I know that this is true not just for our churches. Like the church is the least of your concerns. How do you keep saying yes at that company that you're working for, who fails maybe in many ways to value you? How do you continue as a parent? How do you continue in any relationship where you feel like you're giving more than you're getting? And usually for most of us, when we feel like we're giving more than we're getting, we stop giving. Um, So a sustained yes. We're going to fly over Matthew 20. And Tom told me that there's usually kind of time for question. And I don't know that we'll have discussion around the question like is usual. But I will ask you four questions as we fly through Matthew 20. Anybody, you tracking with me? Anybody else having trouble sustaining their yes? Continuing to make sacrifices? So here we go. How should we and how do we follow the man Jesus who didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a sacrifice? How do we do this? What will fuel us to humbly serve him? The first question as we fly over Matthew 20, the first question I'm going to ask is, what do you deserve? What do you deserve? Because how you, deter- how you answer this question will determine if you serve, and it'll certainly affect how long you serve. How you answer the question, what do I deserve, affects your sustained yes. So Matthew 20, starting in verse 1, for the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, hey, you also go work in my vineyard. I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and then three in the afternoon and he did the same thing and about five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around and he asked them why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing and they said well because no one's hired us and he said to them you also you go work in my vineyard so these guys are getting hired at 5 p.m when evening came the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman call the workers and pay them their wages beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first and the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius, what those who started early in the day were promised. So when those came who were hired first, they were like, what? They expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they they began to grumble against the landowner. Hey, those, those that were hired last, they worked only one hour and, 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 and you've made them equal to us. Us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Am I not being, am, I am not being, sorry, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. I've had to teach my kids uh, a number of things, things that I I think uh, should come naturally. 
like how to blow your nose. You want that out of your nose. Like you'd think that kind of stuff would come naturally. One of the things I've never had to teach my kids is to be able to spot and call for what is fair. Like I, I never sat down, you know, with Remy and, I, and, and said, hey, hey, listen, now what you're seeing here, what's going down here is something that is unfair. <laughs> and when you see that happen, you're going to want to throw a flag and you're going to want to say, that's not fair. You know, <laughs> I never had to lead them into seeing that, spotting that. What's, another, what's also amazing to me is how often my kids keep me accountable and saying, you know, that's not fair t- to me. That's never been my uh, New Year's resolution. Like I never, I've never once told my kids what I'm setting out to be in our family is fair. I've never said that's my goal, yet they throw it in my face as if like it's my, my call in life, you know? So I'm like, I, I never promised I would be that. I, I, never, I never said I wanted to be this. Yet they continually throw it back in my face. And the reason for this is that we're born, because we're created in the image of God, we're born with a deep sense of justice. Born with it. Now, it, it is, it's uh, inconsistent. And it, we, have a, we have an incredible ability to spot injustice maybe elsewhere and then we conveniently ignore <laughs> like, like the, own, the things that are going on in our own lives. But nonetheless, you're born with a deep sense of justice and you can spot injustice because you were created in the image of God. Now again, it's inconsistent, but it is uh, there. We want what is fair. And with this story, Jesus is trying to help those who think in terms of fair begin to understand grace. You're born with a deep sense of fair. You will spend your whole life trying to get your head around grace. It just doesn't easily or quickly compute. And right about the time I think I've got a handle on it, I seem to lose it. I don't know how that goes, but fair is something we get and grace is not something we easily grasp. So we spend a lifetime looking for this. And Jesus is telling this story to help a group of people who think in terms of measured fairness start to see life through the goggles of grace, to start to see it differently. So... Are what you need to know from this parable and what you need to know as you begin to serve and sustain your yes is that our desire for what is fair starts to increase when we begin to work and serve. And I know you've experienced this. Our effort should equal something. I do this and I deserve this. And here's what it starts to sound like in our hearts. I serve and I deserve. I serve and I deserve. And your desire for what is fair, you're born with it, but it begins to increase as you begin to make sacrifices and serve the people around you. The vineyard in this passage is Israel. Most of the time when you're reading about the vineyard in scripture, you're reading about Israel. The workers that got there early, well, those are God's people. 
right? Those are God's people, those who got there early. Those who have been working and waiting since the start of the day are God's people. Those getting in late and getting paid the same are the Gentiles, the tax collectors, the sinners. Matthew himself, who wrote this book, he started his shift at five o'clock. And so it was maybe a little bit, it was a little bit easier for him to grasp grace. All the same benefits of salvation that God's people were offered is being offered those who started their shift a little later. They haven't worked nearly as long and they're enjoying all the same benefits. And those who started their shift at the start of the day are upset. They're offended. They thought they deserved more. And I've noticed this in my own heart is that my desire to have can quickly become a desire for others not to have. And I've watched this even in my church back home. Like, um, how do you, all right, let me ask it this way. How do you do in your company, your workplace, maybe in any community, maybe this church community, how do you do when someone comes in and has in two weeks what you've been working two years to have? Because I watched that go down in my church. People really putting forth genuine effort to, have, to connect and have community, really being courageous in a relationship. And then someone waltzes in the back door and has in a matter of seconds the friendships, the relationships, the connection that you so long to have. And I don't know about you guys, but what flares up in me is my desire to have something can quickly become a desire for others not to have that or not to enjoy that, especially if I feel like they've not put in the time in the company, right? They've not earned this, yeah? Okay, so I believe that the Lord would ask us, would you close your eyes with me? I won't, I won't do anything to you. You can trust me. <laughs> I believe the Lord would ask the same questions he asks in this parable. I believe he would ask us, have I been unfair to you? Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? God would say, haven't I fulfilled my word to you? Haven't I been faithful to my promise in your life? I believe the Lord would ask us, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or maybe God would say to us, are you going to tell me what to do? Are you sure you want to do that? Are you envious, the Lord would say, because I am generous? Do you begrudge my generosity? And I think we need to, you can open your eyes now, but I hope that those questions kind of stick. But I've had to resolve in my own heart, I never deserve more than to serve my God and serve others. I never deserve more than that. I will never outgrow a life of humble service to my brothers and sisters and my God. I'll never leave that behind. I'm not going to age out of the system. And the person who has a sustained yes, the person who continues to say yes, is living in grace and not a measured fairness. If you live in a measured fairness, you just won't make it. We have received grace and we have given up 
on that sort of measured approach to things. Like Christians, I know you know this. I mean, you, you live in San Francisco. Um, Christians, like, don't agree. We don't agree on much. <laughs> Our family is like most families, and we just don't agree uh, on much. But there's one thing that we all agreed on. Like, we had this council together, and we agreed together to not get what we deserve. <laughs> It was called the Council of, I'm just making this up now. But it's like we can't agree on much. But we've all agreed on this. We do not want what we deserve. We were like, all right, who wants what you deserve? You know, and it's like, let's bring it up. Like we have agreed on this. We've given up on that. We don't want to be repaid as our sins deserve. We've given up on that thing. And we have we've received God's generosity and we deserve to serve that's that's what I want to say we deserve to serve so the second question as we fly over Matthew 20 that you're going to have to continually grapple with in life is the question how do you see God no people group has ever risen above their view of God quite uh, simply Um, Tozer said it more eloquently, but quite simply, the God you see is the Christian you'll be. You find an angry Christian, I I can almost guarantee you, they they see and have an angry God. It it just naturally kind of uh, happens. So how do you see God? You'll have to continually grapple with this question in order to sustain your yes. Starting in 17, Jesus gets done with this story, helping them to see grace And he was going up to Jerusalem. And on the way, he took his 12 aside and he said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They'll condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked, flogged, and crucified. And on that third day, he will be raised to life. Are you primarily serving God? Or are you in touch with the very real ways in which God is serving you? Because if you're going to have a sustained yes of humble service, you'll have to remain very in touch with how God is serving you. But I find that when I begin to do and I begin to serve, I'm very in touch with what I've done and very out of touch with what Christ has done for me. I'm now living in and listing the many things that I've done and becoming increasingly out of touch with the many things that Christ has done for me. And those that have a sustained yes, who continue to give even when they're not getting, those that have that are living in the good of what God has done. They're rehearsing what Christ has done on their behalf. And it is sustaining their yes. So... You know, this is, um, <laughs> this is really true, especially in, in, for pastors. You would think that, you know, maybe we'd be immune to this. Um, but I find that a lot of Christian service can be fueled by a very low view of God. Like, we're down here trying to bail you out of the mess you got yourself in, <laughs> taking calls for a God who doesn't care to 
should call anybody back. You know, you can start to, I never say these things out of my mouth, except for when I'm preaching. But, but you start to think, like Rich Mullins said it best, like we're down here working while you're up there playing hard to get. And this is sometimes the attitude that starts to set in. And let me tell you, if you rehearse all the things you're doing and you're out of touch with what God has done, you will not have a sustained yes before him. The person who has sustained yes of service is saying this. They're living in this. Jesus, you suffered. Jesus, you paid. Jesus, you're cleansing. Jesus, you're working. Jesus, you're moving. Jesus, you're planning. Jesus, you're speaking. Jesus, you're dying. Jesus, you're granting. Jesus, you're, uh, you paid the price, we sang, that we could not pay. You died the death I deserved. You called me, Jesus. You found me. You cleansed me. You're patient with me. You're moving in me. This is what they're rehearsing in order to move forward. Are you in touch with, and can I remind you today of the many ways in which God is serving you right now? Number three, how do you define greatness? How you see God is of uh, ultimate importance. I mean, that's a big, big thing in life. But how you define greatness is also really important. Starting in verse 20, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? Jesus asked. And she said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? And they said, Yep. And he said, Sweet, you will. <laughs> and Jesus said to them, You're going to drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were like, why is your mom here? Why did you get your mom involved? We're grown men and you brought your mom here and now your mom is vouching and contending for your spots. They're indignant with the two brothers because they're like, really, dude, really? And then Jesus called them together and he said, hey, you guys, you know, that the rulers of the Gentiles, you know that they lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What do you think it means to be great? Like, what, what is greatness? How, how would you define it? Like, what position is that on the field? Who is that person in your company? Who is that person in your city? Who is that person in the church? What does greatness look like? And I love this because Jesus doesn't rebuke their desire to be great. When they're like, hey, we want to be great, he's like, great, that's fine. What I'm bothered by is your definition of greatness. I fear that you picked it up from culture. I fear that you got it from the Gentiles. I fear that you've got this, I'm in a Lord over, but let me tell you, you're now in the Lord's army and that's not how it works. He came to serve, not to be served. And so your definition, I rebuke it. <laughs> and he essentially says like, look, if you're given a position in my kingdom, 
It's to serve. And Jesus is saying here, look, like no matter how great you become, it'll never mean anything more than serving God and serving the people that are in your life. Again, you're never going to move on to the, from this. What do you think it means to be great? And where did you get that definition? We're never going to outgrow or move beyond this call to serve. So we just, we're just settled with it. I'll never do more than this. And as I climb the ladder, I'm reminded that the kingdom of God is not a ladder, it's a cross. <laughs> the symbol of our kingdom is not a ladder, it is a cross. And Jesus is reminding them of that. How do you define greatness? Is it lowliness? Is it service? Is it lastness? Is it momness? Is that how you define greatness? The last question I'll ask you, and the last little chunk of Matthew 20 we'll read, is are you open to interruptions? I think that people who have a sustained life of service remain open to interruptions. Henry Nouwen, uh, he's, he's a famous kind of Christian uh, thinker and, and writer. He wrote of a conversation um, which helped him to think about interruptions as something other than a bother. He wrote this, while visiting the University of Notre Dame, where I'd been a teacher for a few years, I met an older experienced professor who had spent most of his life there. And while we strolled over the beautiful campus, he said with a certain melancholy in his voice, you know, my whole life I've been complaining that my work was constantly interrupted until I discovered that my interruptions were my work. And sometimes in a desire to be productive, sometimes in a desire to check things off the list, we forget about why we're doing what we're doing. Has that ever happened to you? Well, it doesn't happen to Jesus. It doesn't happen to Jesus. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Help me, where, where is he headed again? Jerusalem. What's going to happen there? Yeah. I mean, in the passage, he seems clear not just that he's going to die, but how he's going to die. I will be mocked. I will be flogged and I will be tortured. I will be crucified. He sets his face like flint towards the cross. That's where he's headed. So they're leaving Jericho. There's a large crowd following him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them. Be quiet. But they started, they started shouting all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and he called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them, touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and they followed him. Now this is beautiful because Jesus just talked to his disciples about how power should be used. But it's not just a lecture. He now models how power is and should be used. And that's what's happening here. So he's set his face like flint towards the cross. He doesn't just know that he's going to die. He has some idea of how he's going to die. And how many of you know Jesus had some things on his mind? Fair enough? 
I mean, some of you are, th- you're, you're here thinking like, well, I've got a big week this week. This sermon's going long. And you're starting to think about your Monday. And you're like, man, I got a lot. I actually don't know how, if I take tomorrow off and take it as a holiday, there's no way in four days that I'm going to get done what I need to get done in five days. There's some stuff on your mind. Well, I'm guessing that, I mean, you're here. You've probably got a really important job, but I'm guessing that your week doesn't involve dividing BC from AD. (laughs) I'm guessing that your beard isn't going to be pulled from your face this week. Like, I'm guessing that no matter what's on your mind, it's it's got nothing on what Jesus is wrestling with at this moment. And he sets his face like flint towards the cross. And this is why Jesus is worthy of it all. This is why he's beautiful and that many of us here are just completely obsessed with him. He takes a call. He takes a call. And I think what's shocking is that he's moving. These guys are screaming. And he doesn't forget why he's headed to the cross. Broken, helpless, hurting people. That's why he's headed where he's headed. And so he doesn't see this man as an interruption to the task at hand. He sees this as a part of what he's doing. And I think it's incredible Because he could have just kept marching. And you know, Jesus, you've read some of the stories. He could have just said, be healed and be quiet. He could have snapped his fingers. He could have dealt with this in many ways. But he stops and he comes back to these guys. And again, he's got a week ahead of him, right? Oh, I'm just going to divide human history with a little torture device called the cross. And he says, hey, is is there anything I can do for you guys? Is there anything I can do for you? It's just, who who is like Jesus? Who is like Jesus? You know what question I haven't asked in like 20 years? What can I do for you guys? Because I'm uninterested in the answer to that because I'm so busy. I've got so much going on. I rarely come to my wife and say, hey, is there anything I can do to help you? I rarely, when I see people in my church, a lot of times I dodge them. I don't approach them and say, is there anything I can do for you? I'm uninterested in their response to that question. Why? I already have too much going on. I can't get to what's in front of me. I can't chew the food that's in my mouth. So I don't ask those in my company. Hey, anything, when's the last time you asked in your workplace? Like when had capacity and bumped up against somebody, hey, anything I can do to make your job lighter this week? No, we don't ask that because we're uninterested in the answer to that question. And this is our God on the way to the cross, stops, takes a call, and he doesn't forget why he's doing what he's doing. He's headed to the cross because what is valuable to him, what's most important to him is obedience to his father and a mission of restoring hopeless hurting people. And I just love him. If you don't know Jesus, you have to. Who is our God? Who is this God that stops and takes calls? Unreal. He's beautiful. We, um, we've moved a bunch as a family. 
And uh, I guess just the last point, hey, he, he doesn't forget why he's doing what he's doing. Um, and I think often we do. That's the point I was trying to make. Did I make that? Was that made? Okay. Okay. So moving on. So <laughs> we've moved a lot as a family and, uh, and I hate it. I hate, I, I can't think of something I hate more than moving. Like if you catch me in day three of a move, I would give away anything just to not have to move it. It's like a form of hangry, you know, but it's like mangry. It's just like moving, just like, like there's just so much stuff. And I'm like, we don't, we don't need this, you know? And Tiff's like, well, we can't throw it away. And I'm like, yes, I can. I can, I can throw this away. And she has to monitor like what I'm filling up the dump trailer with. Cause a lot of things can go because I've had it and I don't think we need it. And it's those last few loads, right? Like hoses. And you're just like, I can't believe we have this much stuff. So I'm, I'm in a mood. And there's also a lot that we need to do in order to close escrow, right? I, I don't even know what escrow is. Like, I, I still don't. I just sign like 250 times <laughs> and it happens. But I, I'm honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated. There's a thousand little things to do on my list, like quite a list that week, right? In order for us to close. And Tiff comes to me and she's like, hey, we've got to have uh, dinner with the Colburns. And uh, the Colburns lived across the street from us, genuinely the greatest neighbors like I've, I've ever had. And for a lot of reasons, mostly his tools. He had, he had an incredible set of tools. And rather than go to Lowe's, I just went to Tyler's house. And uh, so Tiff's like, we, we've got to thank these neighbors before we move. And I'm, you know, I'm not excited about a dinner and I'm not excited about hosting anything. We can't find anything. Um, I've thrown it away, you know? <laughs> but she's like, we can just get pizzas. You know, we can just get pizzas, but we have to. We can't, in the process of trying to do something, kind of like forget about the people, these neighbors we've had, right? So I'm like, that's fine, fine. Invite the Colburns over, you know? I'll be working on trim. I can talk to Tyler while I do, right? So they come over and I actually spent some time with the, with the little girls trying to find a way to creatively like thank them. So we wrote like this little song and it was like, um, to the best neighbors we had, to the best neighbors we had, moving away is a little bit sad when you've had the neighbors we've had, you know? And it, it went on to talk about how they had a pellet ice machine and, you know, just... <laughs> Tyler, uh, he went on these really big fishing trips, but none of, no one in his family liked fish. So he'd come back with like fresh halibut and be like, do you want this? And I'm like, what? Yes. Yeah, I want that. So, you know. So I, I'm in a mood. I, I'm angry and frustrated and I can't get my list done. I start singing this song on a kid's guitar, you know, and I look up and as we're singing it, just make eye contact with the Colburns and I just lose it. I just start crying and uh, I feel embarrassed, but it's visiting on me that this isn't about houses and this isn't about escrow and this isn't about neighborhoods and this isn't about school districts. This is about our neighbors, these people we love and, and somehow and the process of all that I need to do, I've forgotten why we do what we do, you know? So I'm sobbing 
And then the girls start crying. And I sing, uh, it's moving away. It's a little bit sad when you've had the neighbors we've had. And then one of the little girls, our neighbor, the neighbor girl screams out, then why are you moving? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I just think that the person who has a sustained life of service, like hasn't in all that they're doing forgotten why they do what they do and it's it's people like broken hurting helpless people and so yeah we want to plan a church but not really that's not what we really want we want broken hurting helpless people to meet the god who takes calls and yeah planting a church that's a means to that end but let's not forget why we're really in this broken hurting helpless people meeting the God that would stoop down and say, what can I do to help you? (laughs) That guy! People need to know that guy! And that's why we're in this. And we're not going to miss the point. This isn't about planting a church. It isn't and it isn't. But in the task, in the to-dos, we can't forget why we do what we do. This is so meaningful. This is so important. And my kids, who I would say are my everything, are just in the way of my everything. Like everything I need to do, you're making this slower. Every one of them, you know? And we can so quickly and easily forget that. And I want to call you, call you again to remember. This is what the person who has a sustained life of service is thinking about and remembers. And all the to-dos... They're still taking calls. They're still open to interruptions. And I know you guys are, I mean, I have, I've seen Tim's week. I've seen Billy's week. I've seen some of your guys' weeks. I can't believe the pace of this city coming from a little bit down the road. It's unreal. But if, if we're going to really do what's in our hearts to do, we have to remain open to interruptions and not forget in all the tasks why we're doing what we're doing. So I think that someone's going to invite us to come to the table because it seems like a fitting response. Because at the table, uh, our God has defined greatness. At the table, we remember the God who stooped down and took a call. At the table, we remember we don't want what we deserve. We gave up on fair a long time ago. Like that sort of measured approach is not for us. We quit on that. And that is what we do and what we remember 